0: My name's Paul Fritching. Uh, I actually work at Sky Ranch, uh, and it's good to be here. So, real quick, a little bit about me. Um, I went to, I grew up in a small town called Waller, Texas. Anyone? Nice! Yeah, small town outside of Houston. Uh, and then went to Texas A&M University, a whoop, uh, and then I've been out at Sky for the past several years. But probably uh, one, one of the coolest things in my life right now, so I have to show you, is me and my wife just... Uh, had a baby uh, August 12th, uh, b- a little baby girl named Davy. so if you can throw that first pic, this is a, one of our first family photos together, boom, yeah, we took her to her first A&M tailgate, right, starting right. Uh, the funny thing is my wife, uh, my wife's name's Kevin, uh, you know, we're just going with crazy names, but um, we took her to the A&M tailgate, but my wife actually went to UT, so she's a longhorn, so we're probably going to grow up with a confused baby. But. Uh, trying to get get an early start there uh, and get her in the right place. Uh, here's another picture. The next one, she's becoming fun, uh, playful, got that smile. Uh, and then one of my personal favorites. Um, yeah, that's nice right there. Working that tongue. So anyways, uh, that, that's the newest edition of my family. And, and something that people told me uh, is like, hey, your, your life changes um, when you have a kid. Which you're like, yeah, obviously. Like you take... You take care of a human. Uh, and when you leave the hospital, they don't give you directions. They're just like, here you go. Good luck. Um, and, and the good parents out there are like, hey, it's hard, but it's better. Like, like life of just you and your wife, like, man, it's hard having a kid, but it's so much better. You know? And I have to say, it is so true. Like my life truly has changed completely forever. Uh, and there's things that are harder about it. I sleep less than ever before, right? Probably less than college students. Um, but, man, it's better. And I think uh, as y'all have been studying through Acts throughout this semester, I don't know how much you've been here. Maybe you're just picking up here in Acts 4 tonight. Um, but, but I think the book of Acts explains that, Th- this life-changing nature. And, and, and Jesus says something to the disciples in John 16. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus tells his disciples, he's like, hey, it's better that I go. And you're like, what? That doesn't make sense. You're God in the flesh. Like, how could it be any better with you leaving? And that's kind of how I felt as we were pregnant and about to have a baby. It was like, man, how could life be better? Like, I love this time with my wife, just us two. And it did get better. And I think uh, where it got better for the disciples that when Jesus went, the Spirit came, the helper. You're like, how does that make things better? Christ can be in all of us through the Spirit. He's not Christ's man is bound to one place, right? But Christ ascending allowed for Christ to be in all of us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so, for these disciples, it was life changing, right? Their hero left. He died. He was with them 40 days, and then he ascended and he left them with a mission, right? Jake talked about it uh, probably at the first one of this semester that he charged them to go and make disciples. And so as you're walking through Acts, um, there's this cool stuff that happens. Uh, Jesus charges the disciples, and then the Spirit comes at the day of Pentecost. Y'all remember that? People are like, are they drunk? Uh, And Peter's like, no, we're not drunk. And Peter preaches the gospel. And thousands of people are saved. It's amazing. Then, uh, chapter 3, right, Um, there's this lame beggar. Were y'all here for that week when... um, I forget his name. The next-gen guy came and taught. Jason, I think is his name. He came and taught and talked about uh, Peter and John going into the temple. And this lame beggar was there. And uh, m- m- they, Peter and John healed him. And then this crowd formed. And this, there's all these people. And Peter and John just preached the gospel to them. It's amazing. Tell them to repent, to be refreshed in Christ. This life-changing thing of knowing Christ. And so then we get to Acts 4, and it's, it's a continuation of, of Acts 3, really. It kind of breaks in where Acts 3 leaves off, and you see for the first time in Acts, opposition to the name of Christ, persecution for proclaiming the name of Christ for the first time in Acts. And it only gets more intense from here on out. And so as I was getting ready for this, I, I began to think about, man, Have I ever faced opposition for the name of Christ? Have I ever been persecuted for proclaiming Christ? And I realized, like, man, I really haven't all that much, but I was reminded of a time that I went to Boston, Massachusetts. My sophomore year of college, took a trip there in the winter, uh, and went up and was working with this church and I'm a huge Astros fan, so not a big fan of Boston right now. It's been a, a tough couple games. Anyone watching the, the ALCS? Yeah, yeah, we have a Boston fan right here. Are you actually a fan or just wearing the shirt? Oh, she likes Boston. Okay. Um, well, don't tell me the score. I don't want to get upset. Um, but uh, I was in Boston, and a couple cool things happened. One, I was actually looking for Fenway Park. I wanted to see Fenway Park, and I was standing, I couldn't find it. There's these buildings all around. I asked this guy, I was like, hey, do you know where Fenway Park is? And he's like, Yeah, walk like 10 steps that way. And I walk 10 steps and I turn the corner and boom. I mean, Fenway Park is just right, slam a right there. Um, and it's super cool. You got to go if you haven't seen it. Boston is a cool place. But the other thing to know about Boston is they say that it's 0.2% Christian, right? Uh, not a lot of people love Jesus there. Uh, that it's actually less Christian uh, than uh, Saudi Arabia. Pretty crazy, right? And so when we were there, I was on a mission trip, and we're working with this church called Hope Fellowship. Awesome church. If you ever moved to Boston, go check it out. Uh, And what we would do is we would stand on street corners, and we would hand out, like, granola bars and gum that just had information on when the church was, right? Uh, Hey, this is where you can show up. And so what we would do is we would pair up a a guy and a girl to go out, uh, because you never know, things would get crazy in the street, right? So as the guy, you're like, all right, you know, I'm here for protection, uh, and so we're handing out granola bars, you know, been doing that all day. It's been fun, water bottles, you know, feel like, man, doing some cool stuff, talking to people a little bit. And then it comes time to hop on the T-Train, uh, which is technically the subway, but keep people call it the T-Train there. Did you know? I didn't know that, but the T-Train. Uh, so it's like, hey, we're about to go. t train's showing up. And so we're about to pack up our stuff and go, and it's me, this other girl named Nicole, and there's this uh, this guy walking from probably like 40 yards away, but I saw him. I'm like, hey, he saw me hand a granola bar to this guy, so he's going to be bummed if I don't wait and hand him a granola bar, right? So we make eye contact for an uncomfortable amount of time. I mean, like way too long. He's just looking at me. I'm looking at him just like, this granola bar's for you, man. It's for you. I'm waiting for you. So he gets up, and I start to say, hey, man, you want a granola bar? But before I can, he interrupts me halfway through. And the most shocking thing happens. It's not what I expected. He knocks the granola he- bar out of my hand. Literally just poof. And I was like, oh, wow. He's having a tough day. Or he's gluten-free and can't even have that. You know what? He's like, be more sensitive with your snacks, buddy. Um, so he walks by, and I'm like, well, that's an interesting interaction, but let's pack up our stuff and go. But no. He's going, and just 180's back around. He's not done with this interaction. He's, right, he's like, that was just the beginning. So he walks up to me and he's like this 6'5, super skinny guy, real skinny, but real tall, right? And that's taller than me, in case you didn't notice. Um, And so he comes up and again, I'm like, I'm protector, all right? What's about to happen? I'm ready. And so he comes up and he's like, You try to hand me that granola bar because you think I'm poor? And I was like, Nah, man. you know, I'm like so nervous, like so, I'm, I'm, I'm freaking out inside. I'm like, I have to be strong. Be strong, Paul. You've got this. And I'm like, no, sir. Like, we're, uh, we love Jesus, and uh, we're out here. We want to invite people to church to hear about Jesus, uh, and we're just handing out granola bars with information. Like, that's all we're doing. And um, he says to me, he says, are you in college? I was like, yes, yes, I'm in college. Uh, I go to Texas A&M University. He's like, I bet your parents pay for your college, don't they? I was like... Well, yeah, yeah, they pay for most of it, all right? They pay for tuition, I pay for everything else. And uh, then he says to me, um, why are you treating me different? I was like, so we're just trying to hand these out to everyone. We just want everyone to know about Jesus. And he says, um, oh, yeah? Well, how would you like it if I punch you in your face? And I was like, I would not like that. I really wouldn't. (laughs) It'd be great if you didn't do that. So I said, I would not like that. So then, I'm serious, this is a real interaction that I'm recounting to y'all. And that came out of nowhere, right? You're like, punch me in the face? Okay, I don't wanna get punched in the face, I'm not a fighter. Um, And and so what he does after that is even more shocking. He pulls up his shirt and uh, on his stomach is uh, a tattoo that is two revolvers right here, just boom, (laughs) boom, two revolvers, Um, you know? whatever he wants to do. It's cool, right? And he says, he looks me in the eyes. I'll never forget it. He looks me in the eyes. He said, I earn these. I earn these. And um, at that point, I didn't know what to say. I'll be honest. So I was like, Nicole, let's go. Sorry, sir. Sorry for offending you. Have a great day. And we hopped on the T train. We got out of there, right? Um, so I don't know what he was upset about. Maybe me talking about Jesus or maybe just he's gluten free. You know, we're not sure. But it's one of the first times that I've faced opposition to Christ. And I would tell you this. I don't think I had an amazing response. All right. I think I could have handled it a lot better. But what I love about this passage tonight is when Peter and John are faced with opposition for the name of Christ. They respond in a way that is so cool. And I want us to see a number of things of how they respond when they're faced with persecution for Christ. Because Peter and John, they've been changed. They have recognized that they need a savior, and his name is Jesus. And they got to walk with him, and as Jesus took their place on the cross, dying for them, and rising again. And it transformed them forever, and they can't help but talk about it. You'll see that in there. And so they face opposition. And I want us to notice four things tonight as we walk through that we can learn from their response. All right? I'm going to say these at the beginning and the end and throughout. Number one. When we face opposition, Christ is our comfort. Number two, Christ is our answer. Number three, Christ is our boldness. And number four, Christ is worth it. So if you didn't get those, don't worry. We're going to talk to them a couple different times. But so, so chapter 4, Acts 4, verse 1-4. through four, um, Again, the recap is they just healed the lame beggar. Um, he goes into the temple praising God a man who couldn't walk, is running around skipping for joy because he's been healed. And it says he's praising God. So in this crowd forms, they're like, this is the guy that hasn't been able to walk, and he's walking. This is crazy. So Peter and John address the crowd. They share the gospel. And then there's this squad that rolls up on them who are upset about this. And so Today's passage that, w- that we're going to look like, the squad rolls up, they're going to pull them to be uh, basically put on trial and examined, and we're going to get to see their response. So 1 through 4, uh, verse 1, and as they were speaking to the people, right, they're just sharing the gospel, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, and they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day for it was already evening but many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of the men came to about 5000 so there's a squad of three different groups that are upset about this you got the priest you got the captain of the temple guard and the sadducees all right one thing to notice here that that was so interesting the captain of the temple guard is basically the captain of the temple police force which I just think is just crazy. I didn't even know they had a police force for the temple. That would be like if your church had a police force, maybe they do. Uh, that's, that's wild, right? So they roll up, and they're upset, right? It says they're greatly annoyed. You see some, uh, some similarities between Jesus. They got upset about the same thing when he would teach in the temple. So they're greatly annoyed, and there's two things. That really upset these three groups. Number one, they're teaching in the temple. That's the first thing it says in there. Teaching in the temple. Because for them, you have to have formal training to teach. You don't just get to walk up willy-nilly and and, and teach, right? They're the ones who teach. They're upset because they're like, that's us. That's what we do. And now there's thousands of people listening to Peter and John. And they're like, y'all aren't trained to do that. Little do they know that they actually trained under Christ incarnate, God himself, and human flesh, which is probably pretty good training, if I had to guess. So teaching in the temple. Number two, what they were teaching. They were teaching that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And a lot of these people, specifically the Sadducees, didn't even believe in the resurrection at all, much less the resurrection of Jesus. So they're upset. So they're like, you know what? We need to put these people on trial, but it's too late in the day to put them on trial. They ignored that rule for Jesus some two months ago, right? They put them on trial at night, but that's against the rule. So they're like, you know what? We're going to follow the rules this time. And then what I love before we jump in the trial is, but many of those who had heard the word believed. Man, how cool. Two things stand out here to me. One Belief was the key factor in becoming a Christian. Not believing plus baptism, which I know Jake hammered home a couple weeks ago. Not believing plus doing good works. It was belief that Christ had died and risen again. Belief alone brought them to salvation. So if you're someone who's thinking, man, I just need to do what is right to be saved by God, to have good favor with God, you are wrong. It is simply by believing that you need a Savior. Belief alone in what Christ has done, not what you can do. And then also, so belief, the other thing that stands out is what brought transformation here. It was the Word. Those who had heard the Word believed. In Romans ten seventeen. Paul says, so faith... Comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, the word of Christ. Someone cannot become a Christian without hearing the good news of the gospel. There's this phrase I've heard people use, and I totally understand why they use it. I get the sentiment, but they'll say, "Preach the gospel and use words when necessary." And I think the sentiment behind it is like, "Hey, man, live out." your Christian faith. Love people the way Jesus has loved us. But here's the thing. Yes, you should do that. But it's always necessary to preach the gospel with words. You see it right here. They heard the word and believed. So yes, live out your life as a believer the way that the scriptures have called us, but also... No one will come to faith just by seeing what a good person you are. Some of the best people I know are agnostic. Some of the nicest, most generous people. Unless you tell them the truth of God's word, the truth of the gospel, they cannot believe it. And so build relationships with people, but then proclaim the word of Christ. So moving on, we jump into the next section. Verse 5, on the next day their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who are of the high priestly family. So right here you'll see uh, the council comes, this is a council called the Sanhedrin, it's made up of the high priest plus like 70 other people. That's a lot of people who showed up for this examination. A lot. And so what you'll see here, <coughs> this council is the same group of people. Sorry for my coughing. This, this, I don't have COVID, I promise. Uh, this council is the same group of people who sentenced Jesus to death only two months ago. Right? That had to be nerve-wracking for Peter and John. And, and, and this is the first of four times that Jesus' followers will come before the Sanhedrin. There's this time, again in chapter 5, Peter goes before them again. In chapter 6, Stephen goes before them and ultimately ends up being stoned. And then Paul goes before them in chapter 22. So this isn't the last time they come before them. And something I think is interesting here, the Sanhedrin was actually acting within its jurisdiction here. In Deuteronomy... Um, 13, 1 through 5, it it lays out that when someone performs a miracle and used it as a basis for teaching, he was to be examined. So that's what happened here. A miracle was performed, and they used it as the basis to share the gospel. So the Sanhedrin was right to do this. And and basically, uh, in Deuteronomy, it lays out, if the teaching led men away from God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, The nation was responsible to stone him. So this is a pretty intense examining here. So what do they ask of him? Verse 7. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power, by what name did you do this? So they want to know, man, whose authority do you have to teach? Whose authority do you have to heal? You need formal training for this. And I love Peter's answer. And before we get to that, I love verse 8 because it says, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter speaks with boldness. This is the same Peter that 50 or so days before denies Jesus three times. So what happened in those 50 days? Where's the change What it is, is Peter now had the Holy Spirit, Christ in us by the Spirit. And so number one, Christ is our comfort when we are opposed for the name of Christ. Christ is our comfort. And you see this because Jesus promises the disciples, when they stand before hostile adversaries, God would give them the words to speak. You see this in Luke 12, 11 through 12, it says, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. He said, I'll give you the words by the Spirit. I'm your comfort. In this moment that seems overwhelming, I am with you. As a beauty, as believers, as we suffer, Because Jesus said persecution will come. Life doesn't always get easier as a believer, but Christ will be your comfort through it all. He says in Matthew 28, 20, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. With my baby Davy, my sweet baby girl, Uh, sometimes she does what I like to call psycho mode, all right? She starts crying, and she's, like, crying and yelling and just, like, going crazy, right? And when that happens, really the only thing to do is, like, man, I know that she's been fed. I know that her diaper's changed. Like, I know she's doing good, so I just hold her, and I bounce her. I'm just like, Davey, I got you. you good. We're all good here. And the most interesting thing can happen. She goes from psycho mode to sleeping in, like, 0.3 seconds. It's crazy. I'm not kidding. She'll be like, ah! And then she's asleep. It is the weirdest thing. I don't know any other human that responds like that. But as I've, as I've been sitting there bouncing her, I think, man, this is the Lord with me so many times. I'm like freaking out. Like, God, why would you put me in this situation? He's like, I got you. Don't worry. This is all under control. So this Christ is our comfort in opposition. He goes with us. He is there in it with us. So Peter filled with the holy spirit said to them rulers of the people and elders i love that quick thing there rulers of the people and elders peter addresses the sanhedrin with respect of their authority how often do we in our society when we're opposed for anything not just the name of christ do we respond respectfully i don't know if you've been on twitter but that does not happen even in this christian culture when you're opposed Man, you get at them. You're like, don't you dare say that, right? One of the White Sox pitchers a couple weeks ago, like a week ago, uh, made an accusation that the Astros were cheating again. That got me fired up, right? That was opposing what I believe about the Astros currently, not 2017 Astros, but now I don't think they're doing it anymore. Um, So that fired me up. I did not respond with respect towards that guy. And what I love is that Peter responds to their question of what name did you do this? Verse 9. If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you will. So when we face opposition, Christ is our comfort, but then you see Christ is our answer. That, that when we're opposed for the name of Christ, the answer is the gospel all over again. That's, what, that's where Peter goes here. He goes to proclaiming Christ. Christ is the answer in your opposition. When people come against you for the name of Christ, you say, you know what? I can't help but share this because of what Christ has done, dying and rising again. Christ is the answer. Three times in three chapters, you see Peter sharing the gospel. It's like it's all he can talk about. Christ is the only answer for him. I love it. Verse 11, he explains a little more to them. He says, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. This is from Psalm one eighteen twenty two that Peter's quoting. To men who would know this, they would know this verse. And if you remember, he was being examined examined to see if his teaching was leading people away from God. And so Peter says, you know what? Let me show you my teaching isn't leading people away from God, but rather fulfilling something that God predicted. That you, the leaders of Jerusalem, have rejected this Jesus who has become, uh, you thought he was an unacceptable Messiah, but he has proven to be the most important part of what God was doing. He's the cornerstone. And he continues in verse 12, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name. This can strike a nerve in our culture. This idea of pluralism. Man, there's any way to God. That's not what Jesus says. In John 14, 6, he said, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Christ is the only way. Christ is the only way to salvation. So you see here, Christ is our comfort, and then you see with Peter, Christ is the answer in our opposition. Christ is the answer. Verse 13. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were, check this out, uneducated, common men, Savage. They were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I love this uneducated common men. It's what I love in myself, just the weaknesses that, that are in my life that God would use someone like me to proclaim his truth. One of my favorite verses is 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven through twenty-nine. It's not here. But basically it says, man, God uses what is foolish to shame the wise, what is weak to shame the strong. The things that aren't to bring down the things that are. I mean, God works through us in our weakness. And I love this, this saying here that uh, they're astonished. In the same way they're astonished at the way Jesus could teach. Uneducated, common men. And they, listen to this, they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They recognized they had been with Jesus. What did they see in them that made them recognize? Christ was in Peter and John, speaking through the men. The similarity which they saw was not from lingering contact with the lost leader, but that created by the presence of the living Christ who lives within them. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So you see here, Christ is our boldness. They recognize they've been with Jesus. When you're faced with the opposition, would someone recognize that you've been with Jesus? Would someone recognize Christ in you, the hope of glory? When someone stands against you, how do you respond? Do people see your anger, your passive-aggressive comments, your frustration or impatience? Snide comments or sarcastic remarks? Or do they see the love of Christ in you? Do they recognize Christ in you? Christ is our boldness. Verse 14, I love this. This is, this is funny to me. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. This is a man who couldn't stand, if you remember. Now he's standing before them. What do you say to that? They can't deny that a work of God had happened. This man who couldn't stand is now standing. Boom. How do you argue with that? 15. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. Right? There's, like, there's nothing we can say to this. It's obvious. God has done a work here. So what did they decide to do? 17, but in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak, to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they call them in. And they say, hey, you don't speak or teach in the name of Jesus anymore. That's like their trump card. They're like, you know what? Don't talk about him anymore. They don't know what else to do because the the people are praising God for this. They can't deny what has happened. So they warn them and teach them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And this is one of my favorite parts. Peter and John answer them. They say, okay, you want to warn us and tell us not to teach in the name of Jesus? This is what they say. Listen to this. Verse 19. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. It's beautiful. We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. This is the greatest news in our whole life, in the whole world. We can't help but speak about it. That's what they say to the council That put Jesus to death. They know this council could do the same to them. They could put them to death at that moment. So this last one. Christ our comfort. Christ our answer. Christ our boldness. And you see right here. They counted the cost. Christ is worth it. To Peter and John, they said, man, the things that will come against me, Christ is worth laying it all on the line. Because we can't help but speak of what we would seen and heard. Does that happen to you? Have you encountered Jesus in a way that you can't help but speak about it? You can't help but talk about it. Even when you're opposed, Christ is worth it. So the four things I want us to lean into tonight, man. When we're opposed for the name of Christ, remember that Christ is our comfort, Christ is our answer, Christ is our boldness, and ultimately Christ is worth it. He's worth your everything. So we have a Boston man who wanted to punch me in the face who earned some revolver tattoos. That was one, one example of me Facing opposition. Didn't go so hot. Another time, a couple years ago, about two years ago, I was on a plane uh, to Colorado. We have a camp in Colorado called skyrange Shoe Trail. And um, as I got on the plane, I sit next to this guy. And you know, you can tell pretty early on on a plane, like, does this person want to talk to me or do they never want to speak to me ever, uh, based off their their headphone usage, the way they don't look at you or whatever. So this guy, he has his headphones in, right? Clear sign, don't talk to me. I introduced myself to him. Like, hey buddy, Hey, take your headphones out real quick. Hey man, my name's Paul, what's your name? (laughs) Guy named Eli. We got to talking and uh, ultimately, you know, he's asked me what I'm doing in Colorado. And and we have this cool thing we do with our, our high school seniors where basically uh, we do something we call Sigma Defense, where we ask them really hard questions of the faith and they give a reason for their hope in Christ. I was telling him about that. And he's like, What questions do you ask? Like, what, what do you ask them? And I mean, I don't know where this guy stands in his face. So I was like, Well, I'd like to start with this one. I'll say, You know, um, I'll, I'll, I'll play devil's advocate with them. Um, I'll say, Hey, I'll, I've always felt that God is more like a fairy tale that makes people feel better about life. And he goes, dude, that's what I believe. It's like, interesting. And so uh, I, I, we start talking about it more, and um, he, he starts asking, he's like, I have a lot of questions about the Christian faith. And he, he asked me some, some toughies, you know, he's like, man, how can a good God uh, do bad to people? He's like, why is there suffering if this God is so good? He asked me, he's like, how do you trust this book? As God's word. Like how do you trust this? Passed down through the generations to be God's word and actually be true. Explain that to me. And so um, have you ever had those moments where you're really like, man, God gave me the words to say? As as Jesus promised, he's like, man, I'll give you the words to say in that moment through the spirit. And it's not like I did anything perfectly. I, I just was like, honestly, these are really hard questions I've struggled with. And this is where I'm landing on him, man. This is, this is how I've worked through them. And just got to explain to him, um, I mean, even my story of like, man, in high school, uh, I was known as the good Christian guy, and I thought I had to like have it all together. And so I was fake, man. Like I just, I had all this thing going on in my life, but I acted like it wasn't there at all. And he's like, that right there is the reason that I don't trust Christians. I was like, totally, man, I get it. That was me. I get it. What you don't trust about Christianity was me. I was there. And I got to share with him how how I finally understood that being a Christian doesn't mean you have it all together. Being a Christian means you recognize how desperately you need a Savior apart from yourself because you can't do it. And so we had this awesome plane ride. We exchanged numbers. And... Uh, He lived in Texas, so we got to come back, and uh, this guy loved tacos, so he had all these taco joints in the Garland area, and every time I would come to Dallas, we'd go grab tacos, and over that time, just got to flesh out some of these hard questions he had. He was opposing the name of Christ, man. He was like, dude, this makes no sense, and Christ was my comfort in those moments, Ultimately, Christ was my answer. I brought it back to the gospel every time. Christ gave me boldness to ask hard questions of him. And I realized, uh, man, even though those dinners were out of my way, even though uh, they took time away from my family, that it was worth it. Christ was worth facing this opposition. Um, Two years later... Uh, man, this guy loves Jesus a lot, which is so cool. Praise the Lord for what he did in his life. It was, it was the word of, of the truth that brought him to himself. Involved in an awesome church here in Dallas. Uh, he's married, has a kid, a, new, a newborn kid. Um, and so I, I want to challenge you. Man, the gospel should be something that you cannot help but share what you've seen and heard. Build relationships with people around you. Honestly, that's one of the things I learned so much at camp. My first summer I came out to camp, and every day is just not about you. I mean, you wake up early, you sleep less than you like, and you love on these junior high kids who are crazy energy. And you're doing it all to try to push them to know Jesus more. To know the truth of the gospel and when i went back to school it changed me because so much of college is about you what you want to study what you want to be a part of what you want to do with your schedule and so i started going to class and realizing man there's people around me desperate for jesus so I began to see differently. I'd walk into my college classroom and I don't know if this is the case now, but everyone I, I realized how much money Apple made at the time, but like everyone's on Apple devices, Macs, iPads, and they're all just like zoned in. No one's talking to each other. It's just like them and technology. And I realized how simple it was just to talk to people, to meet people in my classes. And it led to these amazing opportunities to tell people about Jesus. Some that opposed Christ, some that had no idea what they thought about Him. But like Peter and John, man, Christ is worth it. We can't help but share what we've seen and heard. And so uh, I'm going to pray for us here in a second. The band's going to come back up, and I love uh, this last song that they're playing. Y'all can come on up, band. It's in Christ alone. It's an awesome song. But I want you to consider a couple things. One, if you don't know Jesus, if you, if you stumbled in because you heard there's free Pizza Patron tonight, or is that what it's called, Pizza Patron? Or you just had a friend who invited you, then there's a God who loves you so deeply. He created you, knows everything about you. And I don't know if you've noticed this about life, but we people, we mess up, man. We are selfish, we go our own way, and we have rebelled against the good and holy God. But Christ has loved us and wanted to restore a relationship that we broke. And so he sent Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, to the cross to take the punishment for our sins and then rise again that we can know God. You can have a relationship with the God who created all things through Christ. And if you have questions about that, there's people who would love to talk to you about that tonight. Secondly, if you love Jesus, I mean, if, if, if you have known the Lord, have you been opposed for Christ? And the reason I ask that is because if you don't proclaim the gospel, you can never be opposed. You go forth not being able to to do anything but speak what you've seen and heard about this great Jesus that has saved your life. So remember, when you're opposed for Christ, Christ is our comfort. He is with us in every moment through the spirit. Christ is our answer to opposition. We proclaim the gospel. Christ is our boldness. He empowers us with courage. And lastly, Christ is worth it. He's worth your entire life. He's worth everything. So, man, be people who proclaim Christ. Christ is worth being obedient to. If you have sin in your life, man, Christ is worth laying that down for the treasures of knowing him, to walk in obedience to him. You pray with me tonight. God, we praise you. Thank you for who you are, God. Thank you for the way that you love us, that you gave your life for us. God, I pray that we would be people who proclaim what we have seen and heard, the goodness of the gospel that has changed us. God, I pray that we would respond to persecution in the way that Peter and John do. With boldness that comes from you, a comfort that comes from you. That we would see that you are worth it all. God, we love you. Strengthen us to do this. We cannot do it of our own. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we sing.